was the darkness when hope was restored? Where was despair when my God split the shores? Where was defeat when the Lord took the breath? When he stood in power by the grave that he left? Nowhere, 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 nowhere is the fear when my King resurrects. Nowhere, 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 nowhere was the doubt when my King conquered death. Yes! sorrow when dry bones arose and where was the pain when the sick touched the road where was disgrace when the king laid to rest the stronghold of sin by the grace he possessed nowhere 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 chains falling I see walls shaking I hear doubt running cause my God's on his way yes he is coming I see joy rising I hear hope calling I see fear hiding I hear chains falling and I see walls shaking I hear doubt running Now here, now here, now here, I stand undefeated when Jesus is near. Now here, now here, now here, now here, now here in His presence, my shame disappears. Now here, now here, now here, now here, yes I. I see joy rising, and I hear hope calling, and I see fear hiding, and I hear chains falling, I see walls shaking, and I hear doubt running, cause my God's on his way, yes he is coming, I see joy rising, 
dreams falling, I see walls shaking, I hear doubt running, cause my God's on his way, yes he is coming, my God's on his way, my God's on his way, my God's on his way, yes he is coming, my God's on his way, my God's on his way. His way, yes, he is coming. Yes, hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your great and precious promises. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your people here at Emmanuel, Lord, for the new beginnings that are taking place and that are coming. We hear hope calling. Yes. We hear hope calling, Lord. We see walls falling down. We see chains breaking, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. If you got a Bible, the red one in front of you, you can grab that if you don't have one. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, which is that's page 1136 in the Red Pew Bible. We're continuing our sermon series on um, uh, God life and our expectations. I want to talk about expectations of spirit-filled Christian community. How does that look? Um, and I want to answer the question, okay, because as Christians we believe that the Spirit of God fills you when you become a Christian. From that instant first moment when you say, Lord, I submit, you need to be my Lord, my Savior, I turn from my sins, Lord, save me. When that moment comes, the Spirit of God just rushes into you and begins his lifelong work of transformation inside of you. So why does the Spirit of God fill us. And so there's many ways to answer that question. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us many um, ways to answer that question. So the roadmap, we're going to look at five reasons this morning of why the Spirit of God fills us as a Christian church, as a, as a community of Jesus followers. Reason number one is going to be to make us one. Number two, for everyone else in the church, that's why the Spirit of God fills you. You'll hear what that means in a minute. Number three, to reconcile, four, to learn dependence on the Spirit and interdependence on one another, and five, to be a part of the body of Christ. And we'll work through those as we continue on. This is the best analogy I could come up with was me in seventh grade. So imagine me this tall, but like 50 pounds lighter, all right? That was me. Um, I was this tall in sixth grade and was just about as skinny as like a green bean. It was it was crazy, but that was me. And funny enough, I was not just a trombone player in the school's uh, band, I was the tuba player. So imagine a, oh, tuba player. There we go. That's right, Miss Kirk. Woo. All right. Fellow tuba enthusiast. Just imagine like a little green bean over here trying to play. You know, that was my arm. You know, just imagine it. But um, I was second chair. There's only two of us anyway, but I was second chair. But I remember one of the competitions that we went to, because we were decent, you know, okay. And um, so, you know, we, we did the best the seventh and eighth graders can at this sort of thing. And so one of these competitions, you know, just think of an orchestra, right? There's 
there's string instruments, there's wind instruments, there's brass, there's percussion. And within those different groups, there's various instruments. If you look at the music for one song that's divided into each of those groups, if you look at it and compare them all, you're not going to immediately probably notice it's the same song. Because each instrument and each group has their own piece to play. Isolated, if they played it alone, it might sound pretty, but you would notice something is missing together when they play. What do you hear? You hear something beautiful. You hear the fullness of what the song is supposed to be when all the instruments are playing together. And I'll never forget this because Mr. Collins was his name. He was our... Um, our conductor and our, our teacher. And so at this competition, I don't know what piece it was, we were playing something. And um, we got to the very end and he you know, does this to cut us off. And one of the trumpet players, after he did this, went like after we were all done, just I remember the look of you know, death that he kind of looked over. This is a competition, mind you. Just like, what are you doing? And that's what happened, right? And afterwards, we were like, I forgot his name. I was like, what were you doing? He's like, it kind of sounded like one of the other songs we learned. I just like started playing it without even thinking about it. At the end, I don't know what I was doing. He's all stressed out, you know. But he, was, he, he played a melody to something else that we had learned at the very end by mistake at the end of this song. And everybody realized it because he was not playing with, he was not playing the same song. He was kind of doing his own thing there for a minute. And so... Using that analogy, the church is like an orchestra. The Spirit of God fills us all to play our Emmanuel-sounding song, and each one of you are gifted by the Spirit with your own instrument to join in, and all of you have a piece to play. What happens, though, when you want to play your own tune? Right? You lose the competition. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you, we'll, we'll talk through that this morning. So, by way of summary, what is a spiritual gift? You hear this language, maybe you're kind of new to Christianity, like, what is a spiritual? What do you mean by spiritual gift? It is a gift given to us, all of us, if you're a Christian, you were given a gift by the Spirit of God to continue the incarnational ministry of Jesus on earth. In other words, read the Gospels when Jesus, when he was alive on this earth and he ministered to the people that was in front of him and all the things that he did, he said, it's good that I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's coming to fill you to continue doing what I'm doing and even more so do things better and grander, even bigger than I did when I was here. That's why the Spirit of God fills us. The kingdom has come. The resurrection has shown us that Jesus reigns and he empowers us to share this good news through word and deed in the same ways that Jesus did for his own name's sake. For the one sitting next to you as well as for your neighbors out where you live and your coworkers and your family and etc. And so as we dig into 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going through the whole chapter here. So we have to kind of summarize some parts of this. But Paul kind of sets the tone. We're jumping in halfway through a book. I can't summarize everything up for you. Just know that this church is a complete hot mess. Like really 
bad, hot mess, okay? Read one through 11. If you think this church or that church or this church has had a problem before, just read this church. You're like, whoa, okay, never mind, right? This was a pretty sloppy church, to say the least. And Paul was, was just writing to encourage and to correct and to, and to bring gospel truth back into this church. And so to set the tone for this conversation concerning spiritual gifts and his people, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, says this, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Can I have permission to get nerdy for like two seconds? Thank you so much. So, the Bible was not written in English, okay? Uh, uh, Paul did not speak in King James or this translation here, right? He was a Greek-speaking Roman citizen Jew, okay? So, consider that. The Bible is written in the common tongue of uh, uh, the time, which was Koine, Koine Greek. And so, if you look at this, there's confusion across multiple translations because sometimes translating anything to any other language is difficult, right? And so uh, um, uh, what happens here, the traditional understanding was something about saying, well, a Christian can't say Jesus is cursed. Like, that's not, Christians don't do that. There's no way they can. Rather, they say Jesus is Lord, and that shows they're a Christian. But in the whole context, it kind of seems like a separate thought, as we're going to see. But recently, they've been doing some digging well, I got to say in the Greek, the verb is missing. It just says, no one says a cursed Jesus. So the verb is missing. So you have to kind of figure out what is he trying to say? Why would the Christian say cursed Jesus? Doesn't make any sense, right? So translations enter a verb on their own doing. But what they did, they started digging up some stuff, archaeological digs in the ancient cities. You know what they found? Really fascinating. Hundreds and hundreds in Corinth and other old Roman cities of curse tablets. Little things about this big. Little clay tablets where, it's kind of funny if you read them, not funny, but it's like, whoa, these people are like really mean to each other. Like people would, would get angry at somebody, somebody did something to them, and they would write out curses like in the name of, you know, Neptune or Jupiter or whatever Roman god, I curse you and hope you, your kidneys explode in your body, probably, all this like crazy stuff. Like you read it and you're like, this is, this is vicious, right? But they would invoke the name of their god to say, I want my god or gods through me, I'm commanding my gods through me to curse you. That's what they would do. Now, these were former pagans, as Paul just said. They weren't Christians. Every Christian in the New Testament is a new Christian, right? Christianity was brand new. And so before and after Jesus was very vivid for all of them, okay? And so Paul is saying, that was you beforehand. You were Romans. You were worshiping the Roman pantheon of gods, right? And they were bringing in some of their pagan ways into the church. And so a lot of translations now are realizing maybe Paul is, is referring to, maybe these Christians were trying to invoke the name of Jesus to curse others. Saying, Jesus, I command you through me to curse this person. That's what they were used to doing. Why else would somebody say curse Jesus, right? That's what they were doing. And Paul saying, no, 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 no. And this sets the tone for the whole morning. So listen, he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is your Lord. There's a difference right? If somebody is your Lord, 
He tells you what to do. He gives you things and tells you how to use them. You don't tell him what to do, guys. This isn't how this whole thing works, right? That's what the pagans used to think about the gods. No, 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 no. Paul is saying, you were were led astray by that stuff. No, 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 no. In the spirit, you say Jesus is Lord. This is what it means if Jesus is your Lord, right? And he continues on here. He says, look, if he's your Lord, and understand about spiritual gifts here, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit, verse five. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And so the reason number one of if he asked the question, why does the spirit of God fill you, right? It's not to command him to, to curse other people on your behalf. That's not how this works. He's your Lord. So number one here is, is, is Paul is saying, the goal is to, is to get a, a diverse group of Christians and to make them one, just like God is three and yet one. Pay attention to the language here, right? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. You think Paul meant to refer to, you know, our Lord in three different names there on purpose? I think so. Because one of the most uh, unique doctrines of our faith was the revelation that God is one, yet three. And no matter how you want to rack your brain to understand that, the egg, the shell, the yolk, that works, ice, vapor, water, that kind of works, but it eventually breaks down. It's really hard to understand. But our God is three and yet one. And I'm looking over many dozens of you guys this morning. We're all many, but in Christ, we also are one. This is what Paul is saying. Just like God is spirit, Lord, you know, God, he's three in one. You are many, yet you are also one. And all of you have something different to bring to the table. Yet it's the same God that's working in you and in me and the person next to you to make us one. He continues on in verse seven. If you want to answer, well, okay, so we're all one in Christ. That's great. What's other reasons for the Spirit of God filling us? What what should we expect from this? Reason number two, the Spirit of God fills you for everyone else. This is what I mean. Listen to Paul's words here. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. This is pretty blunt, you know, answer here. Why is it given? For the common good. Maybe your translation says something like for the benefit of all. Let's keep reading. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. A lot to unpack here, but let's start back with Jesus being our Lord. We must understand God's role in this church community and the Spirit's role in our role. He's the giver, number one. He is the giver, and we are the recipients. That's not how we are used to things in America. We're used to being the customers. And like Walmart famously said, the customer is always right. We're used to 
having it our way and get everything our way, right? We shop on Amazon to buy stuff we need and we want. The package we get, we know what it is and we consume it. That's not how the Spirit of God works, though. The gifts God gives you, they're ultimately not, and hear me out, I mean, yes, they are for you, but they're not, the end point is not you. When God gives you a gift through his Spirit, it's one of those things that we just heard in that paragraph, it's actually for the person next to you. See how that works? He has in mind the person next to you when he gives you that gift of knowledge or wisdom or healing. If you have a gift to pray and people are healed, that's not for you. You pray to heal people, right? You, when somebody is sick, you go and pray for them that God would heal them, right? If you have a word of, of knowledge or wisdom or insight, that's not for you to hold on to as if it's yours. No, it's for the person next to you to give to them that they may experience the work of God in their own life. The Spirit equips you not for yourself, but the person for the person next to you is what Paul is saying. Now imagine if Amazon worked differently, right? Imagine if Amazon shipped to us stuff that we perhaps didn't ask for or didn't know we needed and then proceeded to tell us exactly what to do with it. Well, part of that's kind of scary because they seem to almost know what we want all the time. But that's kind of a terrifying thought, actually. Um, but ultimately, we know that's not how this works, right? But God is our Lord. He gives you gifts that maybe you didn't even know that you needed or didn't even know to ask for. And he says, great. You know that person next to you? They need you in their life now. They need what the Spirit has given you to pour then into them that they may grow in their likeness and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That is what God does for us. He purchased you by the blood of his son, Jesus. He sends us the spirit to fill you because he is Lord. He becomes Lord over you and you lose authority over yourself. It's like what Paul said, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, um, whom, whom you have from God. He says, you are not your own. In Christ, you are not your own anymore, but you were bought with a price, says Paul. And so if we all operated in this way as a community of people, what Paul is implying then is that when I'm with you, you need me and I need you. Because there's something of the Spirit of God in you that's going to then bleed onto me. This is great. I need that. I don't have that in my life, but you do. Can I hang out with you? Can I be with you? Can I, can I hear what God is stirring in your life? Right? And we see this is now that body imagery that Paul is going to come up with. And the core thing as Americans, we really got to listen to this. Christianity is not about you. It's about God and it's about others. You exist for God and for others. And the whole idea is that you keep losing yourself. Jesus said, when you lose yourself, what will you do? You will find yourself. That's what he says. All the work of God on this world is to shine a light to his son to say he is the light of the world. We say believe in him, repent of your sins and find life in him. Spread the hope of his resurrection to this world. And God says, here's some gifts in this process. Go. Here's a special word of wisdom for your neighbor. Here's a special word from God for your fellow member in this church. I read a story of a guy who was um, in a, just in a book I'm reading in a um, department store and saw a, a girl just on crutches walking by him. And God was like, go pray for her. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. 
right? And, and, he, and he was like, no, go pray. And so he, he's like, oh, you're on crutches, you all right? He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Was, so she's like in a car wreck and hurt her ankle, it was all mangled, had surgery, and she was trying to heal. And he's like, well, can I pray that God can, can heal you? And she got the bug eyes and kind of stared at him, and then she was like, okay. So he prayed for like 10 seconds, just prayed for her, and then walked away, right? We don't know the result. We don't know. I don't even know if he knew her name or anything, but you don't know what God is going to do in that girl's life. Now, just that one moment, right? The Spirit of God then just brushed up on somebody else, and they got to experience somebody full of the Spirit to say, God loves you, and I want to pray that he's going to heal you to show you that he's a good, loving, kind God who can also then heal your soul. So he prays for her. Are you willing to do things like that, church? Right? Are you willing to do things like that? I'll never forget another instance when I was at a McDonald's, actually, in Staten Island. Oh, geez, 15 years ago when I was interning at a church. And um, I was with one of the pastors up there, and a woman walks in the door, and you can just see in her face just complete and utter just despondence and sadness that was literally like bowing her over in weight. And she just sat down and was just slumped over, just you can tell, just so just exhausted for something. And instantly my pastor friend, I was just, I don't know how old I was, I was young. And he just runs over and he was like, I want to pray for you. And she said, please pray for me. It's those kind of instances that the Spirit of God starts stirring and you'll be amazed at what happens if you're a willing and able servant to be used by him for those reasons. Are you, church? Are you willing to be sensitive when you're out and about during the week to be used by him in that way? That is what Paul is asking us to do here in this passage. I can keep going. You guys will be here for another hour? I got a lot to say. That's okay. Um, uh, reason number three, there's so much more to say. Oh, I got to keep going. Reason number three, we're going to keep going our text here. To reconcile and to unify the church across social divides in Christ. Listen to this. Verse 12. The body is a unit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though... It is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. How many spirits and how many bodies? One spirit, one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Jew or Greek, slave or free, what are you talking about? Well, we've talked about it before. Rome was sharply divided by various classes of people, mostly around <clears throat> wealth and status. It wasn't entirely around ethnicity, but it's kind of the same thing going on. You had your wealthies and your nobles, right? You're educated, those generally speaking, what they would, would Paul would be referring to as the, the Greeks, okay? Uh, the Jews, uh, in terms of the early church, one of the first issues was Jew and Gentiles, Jew and non-Jews being together in Christ, right? The Romans treated the Jews a little differently and gave them some special permissions. They're kind of a class all in themselves in some ways. Then you have slave and you have free. Um, this wasn't 
entirely like shadow slavery. It was kind of like that, also a little bit like an employer-employee relationship. But if, if, if you, you could be sold into slavery for various reasons in Rome, the majority of people were either slaves or free and in utter poverty in the Roman Empire, okay? And the Roman Empire was just naturally, these people didn't like hang out with each other. Like they didn't cross paths with one another. They ate at their tables and in their homes. And then the nobles and all the riches and everything else, they ate at their tables and in their homes. And it was a shame to cross paths with one another until Jesus shows up and starts saving people, starts saving Roman nobles and the lowest in society, the slaves and even the freemen, like he starts saving these people and they start going to their church services and they start having meals together and the cross for them is the rich and then the poor is looking at them. They're like, what? what? This, isn't su- this isn't supposed to be happening, right? And so instantly, all the, read all the New Testament letters, instantly all these churches experience division, Right? Maybe for a season it was working, it was kind of getting along, and eventually they were like, no, 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 I'm Jewish, we have our own diet here, these Gentiles, they eat bacon, and we can't do that. So I'm not sitting at their table, they can go eat their bacon at that table over there. Right? Or these old, you know, uh, barbarians, they're not educated, and I, I spent, I'm 40 years old, my whole life, I, was, I, I never ate with these people. I'm, you know, my parents would think, you know, my grand, I can't do this. Right? And it was these sorts of things. And Paul was saying, guys, we are one body. We know we're one body because we are one spirit. And those people in front of you have the same exact spirit you do. Therefore, you are one. Are you willing to really wake up to this and operate this way? So church, this is clear for you and I. 90% of churches in America or homogenous, whether all white or all Latino or all black. 90% of churches are generally speaking one race within its walls. What's going on? How is that happening? I can give you some history lessons. We don't have time for that. But it's clear that Ephesians 2, 4 says Christ came to break down these kinds of walls of hostility. He came down to destroy those things and to make one body in place of all those separate bodies that exist in every single culture, in every single society since the dawn of humankind. God said he would pour out his flesh on all his spirit on all flesh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, black or Hispanic, Asian or white, rich or poor. If the world has divided humans into these categories, the church is a place where these divisions are torn down. I heard a pastor once say, uh, who's managed to grow his church into being a conglomeration across the board. And he said, our church isn't colorblind. He said, our church is color blessed. And I think... Pastor Paul would say, yeah, that's how this works, guys. That's how it works. Friends, the more diverse a church is, the purpose of that, if you look at this, it means that 
There's more gifts and more manifestations of the Spirit of God that fills a diverse people unified in Christ. And we get even more of a glimpse of heaven on earth. You must understand the church is intended to be a glimpse of heaven on earth. And I want to tell you, there's a couple of times in Scripture, like the veil gets kind of pulled out. We get to see, like, what's going on in heaven? Like, what is it like up there? Because Jesus said that we need to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So what's, what's going on back there? Revelation 7. Check this out. It's Revelation 7, 9, 10. I didn't put that on my sheet. Oh man, I can look it up. That's all right. Revelation 7, 9, 10 says this. After this, from the Apostle John, he says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what's up in heaven. That's what's going on in heaven. And how come our American churches don't reflect that? And how can we stay divided up into the people that we're often most comfortable around or most used to being around? I would love to see Emmanuel continue to break apart those, those walls of hostility in our country and to see a true manifestation, not for any other reason other than to say, we live in Newcastle County. I go to a playground and I'm hearing, I hear German speaking fluent German. I see Indian, I see uh, uh, black and Latino, I see white. It's amazing the diversity that surrounds us here. And could you imagine, just picture with me for a moment, all of us as missionaries going out and God bringing all those cultures within this church and we're all just getting along in Christ and growing together and we're showing the world that all those divisions can be broken down in Jesus because he, we are all sinners and because in Christ that we are one. Can you dream with me for a moment, church? I believe it can happen here. And I must say, I think we must make it happen here if we are to push through into these rapidly changing times in the 21st century. We need one another. I want to transition over to what Paul says here, right? He says, I'll just make a pastoral note here. What I'm suggesting is going to be hard right? I really want to lead in this area. I see passages like this and it's abundantly clear. We need to lead as a church into and lean into this as a church. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, right? My church in Jersey, we had for a couple of years just really were ministering to uh, people who were addicted to pill popping. They were, they were taking pills constantly. We had six of them in this group that were fresh off. They met Jesus and six of them still had um, um, uh, you know, relapsed and actually died because of their relapse. They knew Jesus, but they were still struggling. It was, a, it was messy and it was hard. We had somebody get arrested once in our Sunday service because they were, <laughs> had drugs on them. It was crazy, okay? We had stuff going on. It was sometimes a little too messy, but at the end of the day was people were meeting Jesus. And it was crazy to watch and absolutely just joyous to walk through life with those people, right? And I want to see any and all people around us meet Jesus radically. And I'm asking you, would you join me in this, Emmanuel? Would you join me in this endeavor? 
Reason number four. We gotta do these things because we gotta learn dependence on the Spirit and interdependence on one another. Paul continues on here in verse 14. We're going to see in a minute why we need this kind of Christian community. He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, it would not for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one parts, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I want you to consider two parts of your body that you, one people don't think that often about, your hand and your armpit, okay? One you use all the time and one often stinks, right? Did you know, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not a science person here, but I learned something. I kind of just like thought of that analogy. It was like, do we, do we really need our armpits? Like, is that like a thing? Like, we actually need our armpits? And so, of course, I went to, uh, you know, Google because that's, where we go for everything these days. Do we, like, why do we need our armpit? Just assuming it's just like by necessity there, we don't really need it. But by and large, we actually need our armpits. Listen to this. Your armpits are home to lymph nodes, 20 of them, and they are crucial for your immune system. They produce lymphocytes to ward off infections. Your armpits also contain uh, aprocrine, I don't know, glands to help cool your body down, and they're full of bacteria, which actually really good bacteria. That's really good for your bodies. There are many more. There's like 13 on the, on the WebMD, whatever it was, 13 reasons why your armpit's good for your health, right? The whole idea is this, not that we're going to identify who's the armpit here and who's the hand. That's not what I'm trying to do. I mention that to say we need every single part of this church body. We need all of you. And Paul is trying to be so abundantly clear, just working through this continually, saying if you think you're an ear, you're an eye, you're a hand, like the, the body needs all of this stuff, right? You need your fingers and your toes and your ears and your eyes. You need all of it. The church needs all of you because all of you are a piece of the body of Christ. The very manifestation of Jesus on earth is his church. And it doesn't take just one person cannot rightly manifest the presence of God on earth. That's why we don't base churches on people. Because one person is not enough. Two persons are not enough. The church is not one, but many, just like God is one, but many. We need all of you, church. I'm going to talk to, it's not just about, uh, a couple other things we need here. For those in their 20s in this room, I'm only about five years outside of my 20s. I'm 30, am I 34? I'm 34. Sometimes you lose track. For those in their 20s, you're, in our world today, your world is probably different from mine. Your stage of life is different. I have six kids, 13 years married. As a 20-year-old, if you're especially going to college, like your world is radically different. But guess what? I need you in my life. I want to hear about the challenges. If you're a teenager, even in high school this morning, like if the challenges you're facing in life, the work that God is doing in your life, you're experiencing things that I'm not. I can learn from you. And Paul is actually saying, I need you, and vice versa, right? 
people, if, if, for those of you who are 70 plus in this room, you, you need those teenagers in your life and vice versa teenagers. You need those men and women in your life. So it's not just something about, you know, socioeconomics or race or ethnicity. It's also intergenerational body ministry here. We all need one another. So can we possibly just envision a church here full of all the ethnicities represented around us, all the generations represented around us, and we're all unified in Christ? Can we dream this, guys? I think we can. Paul continues on in verse 21. He says, he starts using the need language. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and dispensable, the parts that we think are less honorable, verse 23, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable and treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What Paul is ultimately saying here, he's he's trying to speak truthfully. If we're not suffering together, and there's a lack of unity, In that, um, something is going on that's not of the Spirit. Whatever it may be, right, as as we continue forward in here, we know that the Spirit is not going to be dividing the church. That's not what he does. He unifies the church. The weakest and the strongest among us are together. One part is hurting and suffers. All parts are hurting and suffering suffering. If there's division, those things are not happening in the church, and there's a coldness towards one another, or we're not suffering together, or we're not fighting to suffer together, there's something not of the Spirit in our midst. If, if, if you're here and we're calling these things, right, and I'm asking the only way these, this kind of ministry can work if, if we're vulnerable, if we're real with one another, if we're willing to speak, just to be honest with one another. Yesterday in an SLT team, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, just kind of data-driven points and this and that. And then some people just, they got real about some honest stuff. Like, you want to hear a weakness? This is my weakness. And they just kind of threw it out. And we were like, me too, actually. Can I, can I say it out loud? I'm, I'm with you on that one. People are like, yeah, me too. I feel that same way. And suddenly it felt like a camaraderie. It was like, oh, we're, we're all sinners. What do you know? <laughs> right? We need to be vulnerable towards one another. And if somebody comes to you and they're vulnerable towards you, that's not ammunition to throw back at them for your own self-righteousness. Right? Those are sacred moments when somebody comes to you. They're saying, can you pray for me? This is what's going on. And you treasure those things and you pray for that person. No matter what they say, don't judge them because you know yourself. We're all capable of anything. We're just one bad decision in our life away from destroying ourselves. That's all sin. Think about that. Like one bad mistake in your life, just a plunge into one sin like this afternoon could just destroy your life. And you know that's the case. And we're all capable of it, right? So as we pursue one another uh, together as a body of Christ, 
Let's fight for unity amongst each other. Let's fight to suffer when one suffers. We all suffer. Ah, oh, there's so much more I can say. I've got to wrap this up. Reason number five on the back end of our sermon here, verse 27. This is what happens. I'll take two weeks off, all right? I'm all like wound up here. That's all right. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, and those having gifts of healing, those able to to help others, those with gifts of administration, with those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? Paul gives us some summary thoughts here, kind of concluding some of his thinking. Uh, we just listened to some of the more stark roles in the church, knowing uh, show, Paul shows us how we all have roles and gifts. Some have very particular ones, like me, standing here flapping my gums. Right? Some of us has that role, right? And some of us uh, come here, like Steve does faithfully, and just fix plumbing issues in this house, that, in this church, that if, if I was called to do that, I would just break something three times worse and flood this place. And just, we all need one another, right? Um, uh, ultimately, this, this kind of summary passage, I can't go into all these roles. That's like a whole other sermon series. I'm trying to wrap this up. Um, we will one day talk about all those various roles here that is found in this passage. But ultimately, what Paul is saying is, yes, we all have different roles. Some are more in front of your face. Some are more behind the scenes. All that is true. But there's something ultimately still greater than all this stuff we've been talking about that is the very gel and the glue that holds everything together that even surpasses all of these things. You know what that is? It's love. Paul says, and now, after all this stuff, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. I'm going to close today just by reading all the 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it slowly and carefully. And I pray that you can just listen to this. Because whatever role you have, you can just be the most gifted person in this room. I mean, you can just surpass all of us in your giftedness. And the Holy Spirit could just have provided you with just the most amazing things. But if you are a jerk, I don't want you to exercise your gifts here. If you're going to be just like an unloving person that's first concerned about yourself and saying, everybody, I want you to check it out. Look what I can do. Look what I can say. Look at X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. I don't want you here. We don't need that here. The body of Christ does not need that here. That's not loving. I want you to listen to what he says here. Keep in mind a couple of things, church. God is love. And if we are the very manifestation of Christ on this earth, what does that make us? The church should also be love. Love reconciles, it unifies, it forgives, it brings together. The cross of Christ and all of its violence and blood is one of love, sacrificial love. So whatever gift or role that you have here that we will be calling on, and that very soon, like, it's happening here, Emmanuel. Like, we're, we're stepping forward here in our revitalization. Like, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up, or you will be tapped on the shoulder, right? 
Whatever gift or role you have here, you must do it with love. 1 Corinthians 13, then we'll close. I can call the worship team up, actually, as we're, um, as we're closing for a closing song. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong for a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I can have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was like a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. And now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And we close with this. Now these three remain, faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these, let me hear you, church, is love. Let's pray. Before we pray, I want to just invite you. If you were stirred in any way this morning, please grab somebody next to you and pray. I want to call, so we'll have some of our elders up here. Um, I want to call uh, some of our women to come and, and just be available to pray. Like, I just want to kind of have it open here this morning. Like, if, if God is stirring in your heart, I, as we say every week, do not leave without paying attention to it. Because he's after you, and he wants all of you, and he's stirring in your hearts. Please grab somebody and pray. Don't leave without dealing with what he is doing in your life this morning. So as I, I want to pray Call elders up for prayer. Um, have other people available for prayer. Grab somebody next to you. Let, me, let us pray. Jesus, we need you, Lord. I, I, I see these things and just the, the stirring in my heart is, just, is hard to contain when I think of what you, what you can do, what you have done, and what you will do with this church body, Lord. What precious people are in this room. What gifted people, Lord. What, what amazing people that you have filled 
Lord. And you even now are calling to your grand and wonderful purposes. Lord, if we're known for anything in this church, may it not be just for how gifted this person or that person is or this ministry or that ministry or this. May we be known by our love for one another. Because Jesus, you said that's what we should be known by. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the gospel, for the resurrection that gives us hope. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. If anyone in this room needs for the first time to repent and to come to know Christ, I pray they could respond even this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these wonderful things in your holy name. Amen.